uh, we're going to come back and, and really kind of spend our, our lesson this morning thinking about this imagery of, of Jesus in the garden contrasted against Jonah. Uh, and so we're, we'll get there in a minute, but uh, for now, this is when our kids are, are dismissed for children's church, so they're headed out that way. And so three years old through first grade, second grade, I think now we're doing, they can head out that way and, and go over there. And as uh, Zoe said at the beginning, we've got a nursery over there as well and a cry room in the back and... Uh, so, plenty of, of opportunities if you've got young ones. Uh, welcome. We're, we're glad that you are here this morning. And as Zoe also said at, uh, at the top this morning, we've, we've got a, uh, a gathering, party, picnic, fun time, whatever picnic, whatever you want to call it. We're, we're, we're going to gather again tonight. We we'll hope you'll be there. Uh, Pam, what time are we actually eating? What time is it? Five. So we're starting uh, at 4, uh, so if you want to come early, hang out, play, play on the playground, play games, you can come out then, and we'll, we'll eat around 5, and then do some of our programming stuff after that, and then you can hang out uh, after we're done eating and doing all that stuff. So good food, good desserts, good times, hope you'll, you'll come out and join us. I also want to put in a plug for our uh, Wednesday nights. We've been going through uh, the series on Wednesday nights where we're talking to, to different people about different things that, ha- that they have gone through in life, uh, some of them very positive, some of them kind of struggles and, and difficult experiences. And so we're going to wrap that up this Wednesday uh, with a discussion ab- about uh, divorce. Um, and, and not divorce as, as an issue or a topic or a theological discussion, but what does divorce do to, to people, to families, people who have gone through that? And so we've got a couple of our ladies who um, are, have been courageous enough to, to volunteer to, to share some of their heart and story with us on that night. And so uh, I hope you'll come and, and be a part of that discussion, co- that conversation uh, on Wednesday as we wrap up that series that has, has brought out, I think, a lot of, of good and, and needed conversations. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up our look at Jonah this morning with a look at kind of some contrast that we see between Jesus and Jonah. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us, for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. God, as we find ourselves relating to Jonah probably far too often, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that continually pulls us back. God, as we think about Jonah and Jesus this morning, I pray that our lives will will increasingly resemble the example that Jesus has set for us and how we are to live kingdom-focused lives. Would you open our, our hearts and our minds, our spirits this morning? Will you, help, will you help us to always be growing in what it means to be followers of Jesus? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this weekend, Disney released a live-action version of Aladdin. And so our family went to see it yesterday morning. We got in there early to, to see the, the remake of it. Um, and Will Smith plays the genie in this live-action version of Aladdin, if you didn't know. And so as typically happens before these big movies, you know, the stars will go around and do the press tour and go on all the different talk shows and do all the different interviews and da-da-da-da-da. And so, of course, Will Smith being the biggest star in this movie, that you can go find any number of interviews that he's done about this movie leading up to it. 
And so in the two that I watched in preparation for this illustration, um, he said the same thing about playing the genie. He said when he was initially approached about playing the genie, he was terrified, Um, which I think you can imagine, right? Because you have this iconic character that is so closely associated with Robin Williams that he created for the animated version. Uh, To have the task now of not only coming and, and giving kind of life to that character, but to also try to follow in Robin Williams' footsteps, uh, especially since Robin Williams is, is dead and you kind of have this kind of memory of him hanging over it. He said, this, it, was, it was a terrifying proposition to think about, how do I go about remaking this character? How do I stay true to, to kind of the spirit of, of the genie as, as Robin Williams imagined it, but, but also not try to just imitate and kind of be a, you know, a, an imi- a poor man's imitation of Robin Williams and doing it in real life, because you couldn't pull that off well. So how do I go about doing that? And so you can be a judge for yourself. Uh, his, the reviews are mixed. I think he pulled it off pretty well. There were some times where he, you know, you could critique it, but we won't get into a, a review or critique of Aladdin too much this morning. He did it pretty well. <laughs> but that's a tough act to follow. And and I would love to like be in a podcast setting with him and, and kind of follow up some more on this idea of him being terrified about it. But I can see him thinking, I'm afraid somebody's going to take the original version of that character, hold it up against mine, and think, man, what was that guy thinking? What was he doing? How did he think he could pull that off? And so this morning, as we wrap up our look at Jonah and think about Jonah in connection with Jesus, Uh, I think we find that there are some remarkable similarities between the narratives of these two people. But when you hold up their stories next to each other, uh, I think you kind of have the the very effect that Will Smith was afraid of, except in reverse. Uh, That you say, yeah, I see the similarities in the story and in the character, uh, but in comparison, this guy Jonah is awful, (laughs) and this guy Jesus seems to be doing everything right as it comes to decision-making and everything else that we could get into. And if you go from Jonah over to the Gospels, it's almost as if you've taken everything that Jonah did poorly and rewritten it in a positive way. Uh, We flipped the script and said, if the story of Jonah highlights man's insecurities and flaws and pride, then we come to the story of Jesus And Jesus shows what the story looks like when it's lived out from a fully embraced kingdom perspective. It's a complete flipping of the script, an opposite look at what we see in Jonah. Uh, So this morning, we're going to take a look at a few of these similarities between the two stories uh, and then also some key differences, I think, between the two stories. Uh, There are allusions to Jonah's story Uh, There are allusions to to Jonah's story throughout Jesus' ministry. And I think this is probably most evident or most obvious uh, in the episodes that both of them have in boats in a storm on the water. Uh, So you may, if you've been with us in Jonah, you may remember when we looked at this story in Jonah. You may also remember when Jesus is in a very similar situation. Both of them find themselves at one point in a boat with a huge storm coming up on the water. Uh, They're both asleep in the bottom of the boat. Uh, They both have to be woken up by someone else on the boat who basically comes down and says, don't you care that we die? (laughs) This is all about to end. Uh, Both of them, in their own way, calm the storm. 
Jesus does it just by speaking. Jonah does it by having the people throw him overboard. (laughs) Uh, But both of their actions end up calming the storm. And then after the fact, the rest of the people in the boat all end up just in fear and reverence of God as it relates to everything that has happened. If you just line them up next to each other, they're remarkably similar stories. And if you're a a Jewish person reading this account of Jesus' ministry and you know the, the scriptures well, I think it would be hard for you not to connect to these stories and to say, wait a minute, I've, I've heard a story like this before. It's almost as if there, there's a line being drawn back to the story of Jonah and comparing and contrasting uh, these two men. Uh, Jesus himself even makes a connection between himself and Jonah. When at one point the Pharisees, they come to him and they ask him for a sign. And this is how Jesus responds. This is in Matthew 12. Jesus says, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we're going to pause here for just a second because we've talked about in this series how there are different ways you can read Jonah. Uh, if you're on the side of, of those who think that, who kind of advocate for the historicity, the, the complete factual nature of the story of Jonah, uh, I think this is, a, this is one of the best arguments to me in favor of that interpretation, I think, that Jesus points back to Jonah um, at least as a real person um, and that these are events that, that happened. Now, you can have different ways of interpreting what Jesus is talking about here, but I think that's probably, to me, if you're just looking scripturally, one of the best arguments that you can make. It's a little bit beside the point, but it's kind of a thread we've been working through the series. Uh, So he continues. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now, if you hold up the stories of Jonah and Jesus, you would say, of course, Jesus is greater than Jonah, right? <laughs> uh, that doesn't, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of biblical uh, kind of expertise to, to see that if you read both of the stories next to each other. And you may be tempted to say, well, of course, the Son of God would be better than, you know, this wayward, rebellious prophet. Uh, but the similarities and the parallels between the two are really quite striking. And as you look at those, Jesus really comes up as being greater than Jonah, or as some have said, as the better Jonah. So for instance, in Jonah, you have a man who was given a very specific task by God that he doesn't want to fulfill, so he rises up and he flees. That's imagery that we've kept coming back to as well in this series, Jonah rising up in order to flee. Then you have Jesus, who is given a very specific task by God that he himself doesn't want to fulfill. And we could kind of quabbling, I don't know if that's a word, quibble, that's the word I meant to say, (laughs) about the the exact wording of that. And and you could say, well, maybe, you know, I don't know if I would word it that way. But as the scripture in that video pointed out, this is something that Jesus goes and asks God to take away from him. God, if there's another way we could do this, let's figure that out. Um, If Jesus just had his way, this isn't the way that things would go down. Jesus would rather do things differently. But... Jesus does not rise up and flee. And where Jonah flees and rebels, Jesus kneels down and submits. The will of the Father for Jesus always comes first. 
after the Ninevites receive Jonah's message favorably, Jonah looks at the city in anger, hoping that they will still be destroyed. Uh, maybe their repentance will be short-lived. Maybe God will change his mind and, and end up destroying them anyways. So Jonah just goes outside of the city and waits just to see what will happen. Maybe, just maybe, they'll still get what they deserve. Uh, meanwhile, Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem for the final time, looks down on the city of Jerusalem and he weeps because there are people who won't repent and come to him. So where Jonah looks down in anger, Jesus looks down in compassion and tears. The selfish prophet is contrasted by the selfless Savior. The prophet who ignores a word from God is contrasted by the one who is the word of God. And the prophet who was unmerciful to sinners is contrasted by the Messiah who is criticized for being a friend to sinners. Think of all the times that people came and said, why does, why does this guy eat with sinners? Why does he hang out with all these sinners? Meanwhile, Jonah's running as far, the direction, far as the opposite direction as he can from these sinners uh, who don't need a friend and a prophet as far as he is concerned. And we could keep going and going with these differences uh, and similarities. But given the nature of this series and what we have been talking about with Jonah up to this point, uh, there's one primary difference that I think we see between the ways that these two men see the world and interpret the world um, and how that is manifested then in what we see them do. And that is that Jesus imagines what the world could be while Jonah is held captive by what he believes the world is. Uh, Jonah refuses to see anything but what he already knows. Jonah thinks he's got the world figured out. The world fits nicely for Jonah into good guys and bad guys. It's black and white. These people are in, these people are out. And anything that challenges that um, is a threat to Jonah himself and a threat to the way he sees the world. But the message of Jesus revolves around opening our eyes to what could be. Uh, this is a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor as she talks about the message and the ministry of Jesus. She says, in my view, Jesus changed lives because he was able to change the way people imagined their lives. He dared them to imagine the stranger as neighbor, the child as teacher, the enemy as mirror, the deity as loving father. He helped them imagine lepers, women, and Roman centurions as exemplars of faith. He asked them to imagine that the most important person at the table was the waiter and that the end of the line was the place to be. At the moment, I cannot think of a single story he told that was not intended to change the way his listeners imagined the world. And I love that way of thinking about Jesus because we can see that weave uh, woven throughout Jesus' ministry. And we can also look at that and say, yeah, that's, that seems to be exactly what Jonah is unable or unwilling to do, right? Uh, this is at the heart of the matter Jonah's struggle, that he just can't get past this picture uh, and imagery that he has of what the world is. He can't imagine a world in which the Ninevites are not terrible people he, who need to be destroyed. He can't imagine a world in which the Assyrians are extended the same mercy that Israel would be extended. He can't imagine what it would mean for his own identity if they have the same access to God as him. 
You don't have to do much rewording of a couple of Jonah's statements to hear him say something like, I'd rather die than live in a world where Nineveh is shown mercy, which you could restate as, I can't imagine a world in which Nineveh is shown mercy. Uh, In part, I think the irony of the prophet of Jonah is that he completely lacks prophetic imagination or prophetic vision you might be more comfortable thinking. But that's exactly the world that Jesus imagines. And the call of the church, I think, is to live out this imagination, this vision, and to make it a reality. And so Jesus comes along and and he he invites us to pray or he teaches us to pray, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we are to pray that prayer fully and, and honestly and, and with every intent of making it true, that's a prayer that requires some imagination. It's a, it's a prayer that requires me to be able to see the world beyond what it is right now and what it can be. And it also requires me to think very deeply and honestly about my part in helping that reality come true. That if that's more than just words that I'm praying, if that's something that I truly believe can happen and something that I believe is is the duty of the church to say, God, I want to be a part of, of making this world a place where your will is done as much here as it is in heaven, that's going to require some imagination and some vision and some willingness to look at myself and say, what needs to happen within me to make that a reality? It requires not only imagining a world that looks different than the one in which we currently live, but it calls me to look at my life and say what needs to look different in my words, in my biases, in my prejudices, in my actions, in order to make that prayer a reality. And doing that requires that I imagine what the world could be rather than being held captive by what it currently is. It's easy to look around and see everything that is broken. Uh, We could go around this morning and and share every place in the world where we think there's darkness, where we think there's brokenness, that we think needs healing. Uh, It's easy to look around and see all the stuff that isn't going right. It's easy to look around and see where is darkness winning. It's harder to look around and imagine what it would look like for light to come into that space. And I think it's even harder to be honest with myself and say, what does it look like for me to be a part of bringing light into that darkness? It's something that requires some imagination on our part. So at the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah goes outside of the city to wait for a bunch of people who are undeserving of God's grace to be destroyed. Uh, This is the culmination of what we find in Jonah. These are just people who are undeserving of grace and mercy, uh, and I'm ready for them to get what they deserve. At the end of Jesus' human life, he too goes outside of the city, but Jesus goes outside of the city to die for people who are equally undeserving of God's grace. And he does so so that people who are undeserving of grace and mercy can be saved and can have hope and life and peace. Even in his death, Jesus imagines a world where the cycle of revenge is broken, where walls of hostility are torn down, where fear is not something to bow down to, but something to turn away from. 
And so we see God come and find Jonah in his anger. And we looked at this at the end of the book last week where, where God comes and there's this conversation between God and Jonah. And, and, and God finally says to Jonah, Jonah, like, shouldn't I care? You care about this plant that, that was just here for a day. Shouldn't I care about these people who, who I love, who I created? Shouldn't I care about these people? And he says, who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Basically, shouldn't I care for these people who don't know what they're doing? They're hopelessly lost. Can't you help me, or can't you join me in imagining a world where, where we try to go to these people and help them figure some things out? Shouldn't I care for these people who don't know what they're doing? And so then we go to Jesus on the cross, who from the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is the, the indelible image that Jesus leaves us with. One crucified on a cross, he the one completely deserving of, of the fate that he is being dealt. And in that moment, he's able to say, God, these people, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. As I've been spending some time uh, with Jonah for, over the course of the series and even leading up to it, um, and, and kind of wrestling with this, this person, this prophet that we see in Jonah, uh, coming to this week and thinking about Jesus and, and Jonah in relation to each other, this is the thought that I kind of, I felt like my thoughts were kind of headed towards. And that is that I think we find in Jesus the person that we really want Jonah to be as we're reading the story. Uh, that we want Jonah to be this person who has compassion on the people. We want Jonah to finally get it. And at least in the narrative of the book of Jonah, he never does. Uh, as we've talked about in, in our class, there's, you know, maybe there's some hope that after this he does and turns it around. And if this story is told by Jonah himself, maybe you've got reason to believe he finally gets it at the end of the book. But for whatever reason, the book just ends with Jonah never really getting it. And so at least for me, I think when you go to Jesus, then Jesus fully embodies everything that I hope to find in Jonah. And I think there's a way of turning that around then and personalizing that for us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, uh, I think we see a lot of ourselves in Jonah. Sometimes we get angry about things we have no right to be angry about because it helps us to justify ourselves. It keeps us from looking inwardly at our own stuff. So we'll just be angry at the world so I don't have to fix anything within me. Sometimes we, then, we, we, we want to follow God and we go along with his plan, but we try to find loopholes. We try to find ways out of it. We look for ways out. We run. We have rebellious hearts and spirits. We struggle to show mercy to those we think don't deserve mercy. We want people to get what they deserve, but we don't really want to get what we deserve. There's a lot of ourselves in Jonah. And just as I read the story of Jonah and, and hope to see Jesus embodied in him, I hope that's something that we can take to heart for ourselves and say, I recognize these parts of me that are like Jonah, but I want to be able to see Jesus more clearly in those areas of my life. I want to see Jesus' love and humility and compassion in those areas where I far too often see Jonah. And so what does it look like for me to begin to transform from seeing Jonah as what I look at in the mirror to seeing more and more Jesus? How do I move in that direction? 
Uh, this is a lot of what Paul talks about, I think, in his writings as he continually calls us back to Jesus and who he is. And then he says, now I want you to go and live that out. Uh, this is the scripture that, that Zoe read for us at the beginning this morning um, where Paul calls us. I think we have that up there. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says this is what it looks like to look at the example set for us in Christ and to strive to live that out as you relate to each other, as you live in community with each other, as you try to figure out what it looks like to imagine a world where God's kingdom comes fully on earth just as it is in heaven. think the more and more that we realize that the mirror that Jonah holds up to our stories uh, shines light on who we are in the darkest parts of our lives. Uh, the more and more that we are called uh, and encouraged to look at the story of Jesus, and the more and more our spirit fills with an increased longing and appreciation for the better Jonah who takes away the sin of the world who invites us to an imagined future of kingdom living, and who paints the perfect picture of what that looks like by going outside of the city to fully give of himself. And so may we be people who recognize the Jonah-like tendencies within each of us, but who long for those places to be transformed through the power of the Spirit to look more and more like Jesus. As we call ourselves followers of Jesus, may we be doing that more and more fully and saying, I, I want to imagine not only a world but my own life in which these places of darkness are transformed into light in the power and presence of the Spirit through Jesus. And so I want us to be reminded of that this morning as we sing. The band's going to come back up now as we sing another song before we join in communion together. Um, and as we sing together, maybe, may we be thinking about that example that Jesus has for us, that he leaves for us, and the, the call that we have to live that out. And may we be reminded of his sacrifice in this moment uh, as we sing and then as we share in communion together in just a moment, remembering all that Jesus has done for us and our call to follow in his footsteps. So let's stand and sing together this morning.
together. I'll pray the parts in white, and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement where, in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 